Hello and welcome to Rewind Design. My name is Katie McNabb and I am the host and creator of this podcast you're listening to. Podcast is focusing... Well, you've jumped into season two. If you were listening to season one of the podcast, I speak a lot about cottage history in regards to cottage history in Ontario. I speak to families about their personal stories of migration to this area and kind of all that goes along with owning a cottage and the history behind emigration to this area. So if you're interested, you can check out season one, but you've landed in episode four of season two, which is focusing on sustainability on Georgian Bay's shores specifically. I won a bursary through the Georgian Bay Land Trust called the King Family Bursary that is helping to fund this season two. So in the last four episodes, I've been speaking to builders and architects and designers about their specific methods to building sustainably on Georgian Bay, protecting our coastal shorelines, designing to use less energy or green energy, and specific building methods that they're suggesting and using, and all the innovation and solutions that are coming along in sustainable architecture. So, Along with that, on this week's episode, I have Christine Lolly from Solaris Architecture based in Toronto, but they do a lot of work in different areas of cottage country. So we'll get a lot deeper into that into our interview, but I just wanted to say a big thank you to Christine for having such an informative and educational episode. You will be learning so much about sustainable design in this um, conversation that we have. So yeah, without further ado, let's just jump right into the episode. Thank you so much, Christine. Just wanted to say thank you so much, Christine, for joining me on the call today. Um, we've been talking for a while and we finally got to get together to have a chat about cottage country architecture and a little bit more about passive home design and off-grid homes. And I'm really excited to speak to you. Um, you're so aligned with what I believe in. So I'm just really, really grateful to have the chance to speak with you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's nice to meet like-minded people. Yes. I think it's really important in our industry to like be connecting with people that we kind of like agree with Absolutely. in terms of sustainability. So I really appreciate and value what you're doing and what your firm does. So speaking to that, can you maybe just tell everyone what your name is and kind of where you're from? Yeah. So my name is Christine Lolly, and I'm from the company Solaris Architecture, which stands for Solar Residential. That's how we got the name. And my husband and I started the company together um, almost 17 years ago. We had the opportunity to design a house for my parents who were um, pulling up roots in the country south of Guelph, Ontario, and moving all the way out east to the Great um, or to the Thousand Islands region and bought a big 150 acre property out there and said, design us a house. So my father at the time kept the the scope very general. He said, I just want it to be a better quality home than the sort of 1960s builder grade house that I'd grown up in. It was a very beloved home, but not a great building. And so my husband and I at the time said, well, what makes a good quality building? It would be one that is energy efficient and sustainable. And so that really kind of drove the design for us. Um, when we went to talk to builders about building this house, however, it seemed a little too radical for them in that area mm. at that time. So being in our mid-20s and full of pep and energy and naivete, we decided <laughs> that we would move to Gananoque, Ontario and build the house ourselves. So I quickly wrapped up my master's thesis, defended it, and a week later I was driving to <laughs> Gananoque with all my possessions, um, bought some overalls, bought a hard hat, bought some construction boots, and we spent a year building the house. And when we were finished, we found the experience so exciting and rewarding that we got married, had the party at the house, and then in the same month incorporated our company and we've never really looked back from, from that since. 
I know you can't see me right now, but I'm literally smiling ear to ear. That's so cute. <laughs> That's such an incredible background story for your firm because I think it really encapsulates what you what you do and um, just like the energy and passion that you have for your business. When you're, for example, when you were designing your parents' home, can you define what sustainable meant to you? Mm-hmm. So our definition of sustainability has evolved over the last, you know, 17 years since we started this. And I think that we have set ourselves challenges, um, goals to achieve in in sort of short increments of time. We'll say every five years or every four years, we've had sort of a new goal. And once we felt as an office, as a team, we've achieved that goal, we've mastered that skill, we've always quickly pivoted and moved on to the next challenge. So we've never stayed stagnant in our, in our quest for designing more and more sustainable buildings. Okay. When we first started, we were really focused on insulating properly and how to avoid the dreaded thermal bridge. Um, and that seemed to be a really, looking back on it now, of course, it's like, oh, it's funny how much we struggled. Um, then after we'd sort of mastered that, we started looking at air barriers and air tightness and how to make buildings super airtight, because we can talk about later in, in the program, what are sort of priorities when we talk about energy efficient design, but you can't have an energy efficient building that leaks air. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a difference between leaking air and having proper ventilation. Those are two different uh, elements, both dealing with air, but two different uh, criteria. Um, and then starting about six or seven years ago, we started looking at the carbon footprint of our buildings and the operational carbon footprint mm. um, and how, you know, what using gas, connecting to gas systems, either propane or natural gas was doing to the environment. And so we made a very big shift to make all of our buildings all electric. And that's actually a very kind of relatively easy thing to do. It's sort of a bigger conceptual leap than it is a technical challenge. Um, and now, now that we've mastered all of these techniques and, and ideas, now we're actually looking at the um, upfront carbon footprint mm. of our buildings. So how much carbon does it take to actually build these buildings? And what I find very exciting as a designer is that with each of these challenges, we sort of shift our priorities ever so slightly. So in, you know, in the early days, we would have said, well, there's no limit on how much insulation is appropriate. Once we start to balance in the equation energy efficiency with carbon footprint because everything we produce has an upfront carbon mm -hmm. footprint then we need to start finding the sweet spots between well how much insulation is just enough without spending too much carbon in the production of that product mm -hmm. and this is where i start getting really excited as a designer because we're finding that beautiful sweet spot and we know it's a good sweet spot when it's energy efficient and it's lower carbon and it's affordable and it's beautiful. And that's kind of like unlocks the the holy grail of, of sustainable architecture. Wow. <laughs> no, that's incredible. I love that you have really refined your process over time and um, it has evolved so much since you first built your parents' home, which in itself would have been an incredible feat. Um, I can't believe that you started that right after your master's and worked on it with yeah. your husband. Like how um, innovative you must have been to do that. It's very impressive. Um, and, we, and we stayed together. Yeah, and you stayed together. So, <laughs> and you still work together. We still work together. And yeah. how long, how yeah. long ago was that, that you, that you started the firm? So we've been, we've been at it, I think in September, it'll be 17 years. 
Wow. Okay. So you've yeah. had time for, yeah. for this to all evolve. And and I'm sure technology is constantly changing too, and there's new ideas. Mm-hmm. And um, totally. Yeah. So, like, what is the biggest shift that you've seen then with sustainable design? I know that you've, you mentioned, um, you know, talking about air tightness and all of, all of that, but what were you, mm-hmm. what were you doing in your parents' home that you might not be doing now? Yeah, my parents' home followed a, an older passive solar design um, vernacular, an idea of, of sustainability that was very popular in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And that line of thinking, there are techniques there that, are, that hold true today, and they are unshakable. You know, the way that the sun works mm-hmm. in, our, in our environment doesn't change. It's low in the sky in the winter. It's high in the sky in the summer. It's in between in the shoulder seasons. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's a, that's a constant. Yeah. You know, if that starts changing, we're in big, big trouble. So designing with the sun is the key tenant of passive solar design. That doesn't change. Other tenants were using high thermal mass. Mm-hmm. So my parents' house is all concrete. But concrete has a huge, huge carbon footprint upfront carbon yeah. footprint. It's the biggest. Yes. So today we try to limit our car, our concrete use as much as possible. And sometimes we can eliminate it altogether when we use um, foundation techniques like ground screws, which are really, really popular in cottage country mm. um, or anywhere, mainly cottages where you don't have road access um, and you're dealing with barges or we actually have a cottage uh, that we're building right now that's an off-off-grid cabin. So it's off-grid in that it's not connected to the electrical grid, but it also doesn't actually even have a road mm-hmm. or a driveway. Mm-hmm. Whereabouts so is that one? everything to build this. This is near Arrowhead Provincial Park. Oh, okay. Park. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So everything to build this little cabin had to get pulled in um, in the wintertime on snowmobiles. Yeah. And uh, it was all component based. So no concrete, no blocks. It had to be everything that could be hand hand carried mm-hmm. in, which was really And sorry, cool. can you explain so that what, was, what that um, yeah. instead of a typical concrete foundation, what what you what are, what you were saying with the ground screws? I don't think I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah. So a typical foundation, you dig a big pit mm-hmm. down to um, undisturbed soil. So you never build anything on dirt uh, on organic soil because organic soil is wet, it freezes and it will heave, it will move your building in the freeze-thaw cycle. So what you do instead is you dig down typically four feet to below the frost line to an area of, of undisturbed soil. You pour a concrete footing in the shape of the house and then you pour concrete walls on top of that. And that can be with forms that you reuse or it can be insulated concrete forms, ICF, Mm -hmm. which are foam blocks where you pour the concrete down the middle and leave the foam in place. So you have insulation and concrete in one product. I like ICF because they use two inches less concrete and over, you know, the entire perimeter of the building that can equate to quite a bit of concrete. Another totally different way of building a, a building is that you use ground screws. They're also called helical piles or helical piers. And you get a little mini dr- drill rig into the property and they take a big, it looks like a jumbo screw actually. And they just drill it down into the ground until you get so much torque that it's load bearing. Mm. And so you would have multiple screws along um not so much the perimeter, but almost more along a grid line. And then you put beams on top of them, typically steel beams because they're exposed to the elements. And then you build your wood framed house on top of that. So wood framed floor and then walls and your roof on top of that. Now, the the main difference design wise is that that house that's built on ground screws is going to be up off the ground. And you actually have space under the building. You could crawl in under the building. Okay. As can all your little critter friends up in cottage mm-hmm. country. <laughs> so it's great because we don't need concrete. We do a lot of cottages that are water access. 
um, or just people who want to be very light on the land. But it has another set of technical challenges in that you need to now insulate very well this exposed floor. Mm. And you need to somehow either prevent critters from getting in or if they get under the building, some kind of maintenance program so that you could get them back out again if you needed to. And will these screws, will they screw into soil or will they also screw into rock? I don't think. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes they can go right into the Mm -hmm. rock and then they're you know, literally rock solid. They're not going to go anywhere. Um, When they screw into ground, they typically need to be a little fatter and a little deeper Mm -hmm. to get that same load bearing capabilities. But it's all engineered. Mm -hmm. There isn't, uh, there's no guesswork in it. It's all designed to be tested and accurate. Yeah, no, it'd be really interesting to compare that like life cycle cost and analysis from the ground screws versus doing like a typical concrete foundation. That's so interesting because normally what I've seen, I'm, I'm not an architect, I'm an interior designer, so I'm not as um, familiar with the actual building techniques of like the structure, but um, usually what I've seen more so in older cottages is just like concrete block piers right on rock where I live more on Georgian Bay. There's like an abundance of natural rock foundation. (laughs) so people tend yeah. to just build like right on top of the right on top of the rock so that's really interesting yeah 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 that would be a more that would be more would have more commonality with this ground mm-hmm. screw method mm-hmm. um would be the the concrete piers um we've seen cottages that you know some areas of the floor are just propped up on pieces of firewood yeah. you know like <laughs> or like big logs or... <laughs> old stumps. yeah yeah for sure. Yeah. And sure. I've seen some so. that are almost or more than a hundred years old and they're still there. They've been exposed to the really strong west wind on Georgian Bay. And you're like, how is this how's this still yeah. standing? I'm confused. <laughs> but it's pretty amazing. Yeah, we did a cottage we did a cottage renovation once on Lake Joseph, and the cottage had a lean to it. And the builders, my goodness, they were brave. They put this huge band around the the frame structure attached it to a massive boat (gasps) and actually pulled the structure back into plumb (gasps) and then quickly kind of nailed it all into place it was so it was so radical and brash it was amazing was this your project um sullivan island okay yeah i had that up to to talk about to you Yeah, that's that's a sweet, sweet project. Yeah, do yeah. you actually want to talk just a little bit about that one? Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, so this was a really lovely opportunity because the clients who um, who bought this property wanted a, a space for the family to gather. Their children were were grown um, in their you know early twenties at the time, and they wanted to really create this this strong anchor place for the family for friends. They had a real, um, a real respect for the area, and they found this historic building where typically you would just tear it down and build a big, big, big monster cottage. Mm. They really wanted to do a very delicate and sensitive renovation. I almost think of it as a restoration mm. because we peeled away a lot of the 1950s and 60s and 70s renovations and additions we peeled those off back to the original 1930s building and then added on to it in the similar style so now when you look at it it looks cohesive but it does not look like a replica because the scale is accurate one of the biggest challenges with new buildings trying to look historic is they get the scale wrong they make everything too big mm. and it just looks kind of bloated. So this cottage, they they took the hit on things being a little tighter, a little smaller, a little lower than you would build new, but that's part of the charm. And the other thing I loved about that project is that they inherited the cottage with all the furniture in it and they kept, you know, 95% of the stuff and just worked with it. And I thought that was really cool. Because a lot of people wouldn't have the vision to be able to do that. They would just want their own things and to kind of start fresh. And these people were like, nope, 
this furniture has been here longer than us. So let's keep it here where it belongs. Yeah, I'm just scrolling through some of the pictures on your website and it's a beautiful property. And I love um, the wraparound veranda. And yeah. yeah, I'm trying to just, oh, it's so beautiful. I am such a proponent for restoration. So I love that you're, um, that they had found this property and wanted to keep it because um, it is unfortunate how many cottages I see being torn down mm -hmm. <laughs> up here. It's, mm -hmm. it's quite sad. And sometimes, you know, like they aren't salvageable and that that's understandable if, if, um, sure, if they're in such poor condition. But um, I do think, I do think that a lot do get torn down that could really be um, saved. <laughs> and this one yeah. is just beautiful. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Did you, so do you guys do the interiors as well? We did. We do mostly the interiors for most of our projects. And we did for this one, although the interiors for that particular cottage were, I mean, we were basically just restoring right. what was already there right. and kind of riffing off that still a lot of work original. <laughs> yeah and our client had a huge um a huge you know impact mm -hmm. on on that work as well she was really um very heavily involved in that which was fantastic and what year do you think it was built the original structure i think it was an originally about a 1920s or 1930s yeah. building oh, yeah so cool. yeah <laughs> And this renovation, I was actually just talking about it today with my daughter. And I said, well, I don't think you were born yet when we did this. So it had to have been at least 12 years ago right. that we did that project. Yeah. yeah. And it was Tamarack that did the the build, the rest, the, That's right. the work. Yeah. Yes. No, I'm just reading it yeah. here. Yeah. we were, I work yeah. with them a bit. So that's, um, that's great. It's actually funny. My, um, Chris Madden, the kind of the owner of Tamarack, he, um, his first project or one of his first projects when he first started his company was my boyfriend's parents' house. <laughs> oh, nice. So it's kind of funny. It's, he's, you know, obviously grown the company extremely well and yeah. does, still does amazing projects. Um, yeah. So that's, well, they were the bold, brash cowboys yeah. who decided to loop, loop a lasso around understand. that yeah, pretty amazing. So they looped so they looped a rope around the entire build and then pulled it just an inch or two back so it was back into plum. Plum. Oh my god. Yeah. I can't even that. It must have been a huge boat. Whoa. It was a huge boat. Yeah. It was a huge boat. Holy yeah. crap, that's amazing. Um yeah. so this project that we've been talking about is in Muskoka. Yeah. Um I've noticed that you've also done projects more in Manitoulin, so that would be Georgian Bay, and then Kawartha Islands. Yes. Um, yep. Where else have you worked? Uh, you're based in Toronto. Yep. So I'm assuming so you do lots of Toronto. stuff there. Yeah, we do lots of renovations and new builds um, in Toronto proper and, and outside. We do a lot of country homes, but specific to cottages, yeah, we have the Kawartha Lakes area, our cottage is on Cache Lake near Gravenhurst. Oh, yeah. We've got Muskoka. We're doing, we're building a few right now in Midland and Algonquin Highlands. Mm -hmm. We have two going up right now um, near Tobermory on the Bruce Peninsula. Okay. And um, yeah, so where we haven't, and then a lot, a lot north of Kingston. Oh. It's a very popular area right now. Yeah. Okay. Lots of lake properties. And yeah. what, I, what I was going to ask you about um, designing cottages versus designing people's maybe resi first residence in Toronto is what do you design differently or how do you approach designing differently um, when you're designing a cottage versus like a city home? I love this question yeah. <laughs> because I, I really believe that cottages vacation properties do need to be designed differently and they need to be deliberately different mm -hmm. i believe that when we leave our permanent lives our our homes in the city or wherever they are our regular life quote unquote and we go to our vacation properties whether it's a permanent or a rental or what have you you're going there because you want to live differently than you do in your daily life. You wanna have a break, you wanna have a different pace, 
And the architecture of that space really needs to help you make that transformation. And if you go to a cottage that's just got all the bells and whistles, it mm-hmm. doesn't feel very different than what you're used to at home. Yeah. And I think that there's certain moves that you can do that are deliberately makes things a little bit more challenging. You're being a little cheeky with the architecture so that there's a distinction between your two lives. So at our cottage, for example, we have two bathrooms that are shared. And a lot of people would say, oh, why don't you have an ensuite, a primary suite with an ensuite bathroom? We said, no, that's an idea for a single family structure. This is a multi-generational family cottage where we have, you know, when the whole family is there, there's 11 people and we wanted to create a very clear um, egalitarian connection between all different members of the family. So there's two bathrooms, pick one, you know, nobody gets special treatment. Yeah. You're almost removing any hierarchy. You know, yeah. where everyone is, everyone is welcome. Everybody has their own experience there. And um, yeah, instead of saying like, oh, you need to, we need to have one room that's dedicated for the, like a primary or main suite. It's like kind of all the rooms are up for grabs. The bathrooms are up for grabs and exactly. And it's just more exactly. of a relaxed environment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, you know, it's for everybody um, all at the same time. The other thing we did, our cottage is, uh, what my nephew refers to as an upside down house. <laughs> we have the bedrooms on the ground floor and we have the main great room upstairs. And the reason for that is because our cottage is next to a beautiful granite outcropping dividing the forest from the lake. And so that out rock uh, outcropping is about a story high on the forest side and about two stories high going down to the water. Mm. And so if we had built a typical design with bedrooms upstairs, the bedrooms would have the view of the water and the ground floor wouldn't. So right. we flipped the order so that the great room is upstairs. It has a vaulted ceiling. It has the views But we also really wanted to create this very big communal space, almost like a camp hall, you know, that big hall at summer camp where you have breakfast, but you also do crafts and then you push all the tables out of the way and put on a play, you know, this really kind of like loose gathering space. And so for us, it was really important that that room be perfectly pure. Yeah. So one big room windows on all four sides, no space is carved away. And so a lot of people would say, oh, well, you should have a powder room up there because it's convenient. And we were like, no, 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 no. We don't want convenience. (laughs) We want the purity of the space, the purity of the architecture. You can go downstairs to use the bathroom. Sure, it's a pain, but you're only here for three days. So just enjoy it while you've got it, Mm -hmm. right? And um I think I think you can do stuff like that at a cottage. I think you can be a little a little cheeky yeah. and and have some fun. And it's okay that you don't necessarily meet all the requirements because I think you're trying to achieve something that's a little bigger than just the checklist. Mm-hmm. You're trying to you're trying to transcend, you're trying to create something that's inspiring for people. Yeah, and I feel like you just don't you don't want to carbon copy your your Toronto home and just say, I want all the same modern conveniences in my cottage that I do at home. Cause that's not why you're going to the cottage. No, I feel like you don't. And you're going to the cottage to be outside. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was actually going to ask you, so kind of rewinding just a little bit back to more of the planning stages. Um, So (laughs) We're talking a lot about the architecture now, but if we can backtrack just a little bit to like your, the zoning and planning and more of the landscape, mm-hmm. how do you initially decide when you go to a site where, like obviously where you're placing the building, its orientation is very important in regards to the mm-hmm. sun, but how do you kind of respect the natural landscape that's there 
Like, mm-hmm. what do you what do you keep in mind when you're in that initial planning stage? Mm-hmm. Well, when when we first visit a site, we do uh, we do that visit with the homeowners, um, and that's really important because the homeowners do whether it's conscious or subconscious, they do drive a lot of the decision making yeah. as they should. And a lot of a lot of homeowners will they know the land better than we do. Um, and they'll have kind of a pretty good idea of where they think the cottage should go. The land is sort of speaking to them in yeah. a way. And so we listen to that and and we evaluate that with the practicals. Um, and we evaluate that with, you know, the, the requirements like setbacks and zoning constraints and all that kind of thing. One of the really nice things with the, the ground screw, um, foundation approach is it is very light on the land. You're not Mm. chopping, not chopping roots out when you use ground screw. So a cottage, like our cottage on Lake Cache, we were able to build just in amongst the trees and there's trees really close to the building which is what makes it so special. Um, and so that's a really, really important factor. We look at uh, connections to the water mm-hmm. because a lot, like you go to the cottage to go swimming. <laughs> so how are you getting from the swimming area to the cottage site? And you really need to take the most kind of direct and natural path. You can't, you can't alter the sort of like course too too hard because people are going to go where they're going to go and you've got to kind of respect that and then of course the views the sun as you mentioned which will not change for anything yeah. <laughs> um and then also just understanding which rooms are going to take priority so our cottage is actually perpendicular to the lake because south is to the side and our lake view is to the west. Okay. And so we have the long axis running east-west so that we could have lots of light looking into the forest um, during the day. Mm -hmm. So we kind of said, okay, well, we've got one big view of the water. What room is going to go there? What's the most important room that goes there? And on the other end, we have the morning sun coming in what goes on that side? Where do we want to be in the morning? Just, ah. Do we want that to be the kitchen? Do we want that to be the dining area? So you kind of work your way through those, that hierarchy of, of decisions based yeah. on that. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's yeah. the only way that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Like that just makes yeah. so much sense in terms of planning and um, just being so conscious of of where the sun is and how you use the space and the function and mm-hmm. all of that just is so straightforward. And mm-hmm. I don't know why you would do it any other way. <laughs> I think one, I think one sort of word of caution is that on occasion we've met people who want to build their home or their cottage. They'll, there'll be a beautiful spot on the land, mm. you know, a beautiful rock outcropping and they want to build the house on top of it. And we'll kind of say, well, this is a really, this is such a special and beautiful spot. Why don't we build beside it <laughs> so that you can still enjoy that spot? And we we connect that beautiful rock outcropping into the design of the house so that those spaces are actually now connected rather than one dominating the other. Right. Um, and that's, you know, that's something that's important that you can always be beside the best spot in the in the property right oh that's so interesting yeah I think and you know obviously the homeowner's perspective like you said is really important and and um if they've spent many many years there they're going to know the property so well and they're going to know where they want to place everything so I think that is very important to keep in mind as well um I wanted to ask you about building material and I know we touched upon mm-hmm. that just a little bit with the concrete foundations and the ground screws mm-hmm. but in terms of like actual building material um what do you normally s- I'm assuming you mainly do um like wood wood frame we do yeah. yeah yeah so I mean I guess just in terms of the wood you're purchasing 
Can mm-hmm. you explain like where do you source that wood from? Do you go into depths to find, you know, to make sure that that wood is coming from a sustainable forest and is rated and um that's just speaking to the wood itself mm-hmm. but then the rest mm-hmm. of like the cladding and the roof and all of these other things can you speak yeah. just a little bit to what you normally select yeah. so we just we have a general kind of tagline in our firm wood is good you okay. know like <laughs> sustainable wood, wood as a product is a sustainable product mm-hmm. as trees grow they sequester carbon they sequester the most carbon in the first sort of 20 to 30 years of their life. They sequester mm. more carbon in those 30 years than they will for the rest of their lives. Really? It's it's so fascinating. It's kind of like, you know, toddlers have the metabolism. They could just eat and eat and eat and eat and they'll never, you know, be, be oh, yeah, that satiated. Goes away. <laughs> right? That goes away <laughs> fast and yeah. hard. Um so trees are kind of like that too. They'll just suck up everything you give them. So for for us, we kind of say, well, look, the more wood we use, the more wood has to be grown. And the more we will support and and prod this wood growing, wood processing industry into being better and better and better versions mm. of itself. So I think the the FSC certified lumber is a fairly standard designation yeah, now. I would I, say so. I haven't actually. I, I think it's pretty standard. Um, we're kind of focused on okay. Well, what else can we do with wood? Could we do siding with wood? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. only caveat is that wood siding requires maintenance eventually. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want maintenance, especially at a cottage, right? Yes. So <laughs> that's tricky. Now we kind of get into like lifestyle and cost and all this kind of stuff. Um, roofing, I love a steel roof. Mm-hmm. It is bulletproof. It will last forever. Mm-hmm. And it's a recyclable product. Steel has a very, very high recyclability. So it doesn't really downgrade. Like when you recycle plastic, you're kind of taking a big step down in its usability with every recycling, right? Yeah, like it can't be recycled into the same product. No, it can't. Until it just becomes, you know, kayak launches, right? That's all it's sort of (laughs) good for. Um, But steel can be recycled into more steel. So when your steel roof finally kicks the bucket, so to speak, your great, great, great grandchildren can unscrew it and, you know, turn it into more steel. Mm -hmm. So I think that's great, especially when you're in the forest, you've got high snow load, you've got trees and leaves and branches falling on your roof. A really good steel roof is a great investment. And just to play Um, devil's advocate, mm -hmm. what would be some choices that you would not recommend? Well, I wouldn't recommend asphalt roofing because it just doesn't last and mm-hmm. it really it really collects a lot of debris because it's not slippery. Yeah. So I think it's a real hassle up in cottage country. Um I really avoid any kind of like cement-based product. So fiber cement siding has a very high carbon footprint. Um and then we have um any kind of like concrete toppings inside a home if you really insisted on having in-floor heating which we don't really do anymore but you'd have a concrete topping with that mm, yeah um some people want to have like icf buildings all the way to the roof we don't do that anymore <laughs> right. um we constantly used to evolving. <laughs> constantly evolving um we're glass is a really has a really really high carbon footprint and so as a as an office we're starting to have these little chin wags over a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and we're like okay windows windows they're the most expensive part of the project Mm -hmm. they're the most beautiful part of the experience Mm -hmm. they have the highest carbon footprint how can we start to get that sweet spot between sustainability cost beauty you know, do you need a building that's glass on all four sides to be one with nature? 
not necessarily. Yeah. So how do we find that one perfect moment where the window is sort of smaller, but actually by making it smaller, it heightens your connection with just that one perfect view. Yeah. And I find, I find that when you have these moments, you create these little vignettes with a smaller window and it really actually frames in that view and allows you to focus just on that very perfect Yeah, like yet. (laughs) And so I can totally understand why uh, that would be honestly a beautiful design feature and um, would allow for less, (laughs) less um, glass overall. Some choices we make are purely functional based. Like, Mm -hmm. again, at our cottage, the flooring is vinyl plank, you know, Mm -hmm. not a very, not a super sustainable product but totally bulletproof in terms of durability. And we did not want a cottage where we were yelling at everybody to take their shoes off and wipe up spills. We wanted to like not let the dogs run around or something. Who cares? Just come in, go at one door, come in another door. Who cares? And in fact, we've started yelling at the kids to keep their shoes on because they'll all, they'll all roll in from playing outside and they'll leave their shoes in front of the door and then we trip over them. So we're like, just leave your shoes on. That was Aww. the whole point. So yeah, and I know vinyl, vinyl might not be the most sustainable product, but like you said, it's extremely durable and will last a very long time. So in some senses, it might be better for that specific instance because it will outlast other products that you'll have to replace over and over. So I think that's also important. Yeah. Yeah. Quite possibly. Yeah. I mean, I think the best thing you can do in terms of overall sustainability is number one. I mean, number one is nothing. Don't do anything. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's been said. Number two, Mm -hmm. renovate when possible. Right. Because there's an embodied carbon in that structure, which you and I both agree on. Yes. Number three, if you're going to build, build small. Mm-hmm. And you can build small when you have a really good designer who designs a good space. I think there's a lot of bad spaces out there, but they're being hidden. They're being diluted by just being huge. And so you just can't yeah. tell that it's not a good space because it's huge. Oh, yeah. For Oh, I what I just I <laughs> sorry. I'm just like, I totally agree with you. And I just wish more people thought like this because. <laughs> I think it's so much more important to design something that is a smaller footprint, first of all, just in terms of your carbon footprint um, and kind of your energy output, but to to design something smaller that you're actually designing purposefully, efficiently, and are because you're building smaller, you can afford to to use higher quality, durable materials that will stand the test of time that will last and you're cutting down on all of your energy costs over time because we know that most of the energy that's going into your building isn't actually building it it's your energy use over the lifespan of the building Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean the smaller your building and the less energy you have to use to run the building the less energy you'll use yes overall and overall and you know, it's a win, 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 win. It costs less to build. It costs less mm-hmm. to keep comfortable. It co- it's less, less to maintain, less to clean. You know, you, you've, you're running out the door and you, oh my gosh, I forgot the, the sunglasses strap. And you're in a small cottage. You're just that much closer to your, to your bedroom or wherever you left your hat or, or whatever it is. So mm-hmm. I, I think that when we're very, very mindful, you just reap the benefits over and over and over again. I was going to say, our cottage has this huge great room. We have a 14 foot long island, right? Wow. Because the cottage is designed for, you know, 10, 11 people at the minimum. And everybody wants to cook together and everybody wants to be together. But the bedrooms are like 10 by nine. Yeah. Like they're tiny because you're not going there to hang out in your bedroom. Can you just for reference, say how, um, like how many square foot it, how many square feet is the overall cottage? The overall cottage. So I think it's about 1200 per level. Okay. So you've got a 1200 square foot great room. 
And then below it, we fit six bedrooms, two bathrooms and a laundry. Mm. So it's quite, wow. yeah. So the, the, the downstairs is very efficient. Um, and then the great room is totally, you know, we've got a foosball table in it. Like that's how big we have. We have a dining table for 20. And then we actually have a beautiful round table for sometimes it's for breakfast. Sometimes it's for a puzzle. Sometimes it's for a board game. Sometimes it's for crafts. But it's this very purposeful corner of the kitchen area that's just the the catch-all table. It's like whatever you want it to be, but then the dining table is always set up for dining. Although, actually, the last time I was there, there was a little ping-pong table set up. <laughs> you know, you stretch the net across the table. So that was fun. And yeah, then we just and I feel inside. like you've, you've really dedicated the space appropriately to how you're really using the space. And you're not just saying oh, we need to have big bedrooms just for the sake, you know, guests yeah. might want big bedrooms. It's like, well, no, you know, we're trying to uh, promote our guests to not be spending their time in their bedrooms and to be spending it in the main area and gathering together as a family, which is why we're here. Exactly. Yeah. Or to be outside. Or to be outside, um, yeah. We don't have a TV at our cottage. It was a very, yeah. you know, it was a very purposeful family uh, agreed upon decision where we just said, well, look, there's always time for TV. Any other time, let's create a space where there's a break from mm -hmm. all of that. Tablets stay in the car. It's a water access cottage. So tablets stay in the car back at the marina. Okay. And, um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty we don't have a TV either. I just don't think you Great. need one. Yeah. yeah. There's too much to do. I know. And at there's the always cottage. work to do at the cottage too. Yeah. 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 And it's fun. That book, and that book isn't going to read itself. So. No. <laughs> yeah. I know we talked a little bit about the historical renovations or just renovations in general. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess, can you maybe talk a little bit about what some of the challenges are when you're doing renovations and how you can kind of decide if, if the building is viable or if it cannot be kept and like what, mm -hmm. um, how you determine that and, and mm -hmm. maybe like the challenges with all of that. Yeah. I mean, design always starts with understanding the, the parameters of the project. So what are the goals? What is the timeline, you know, or the lifespan? Um, you know, what's the budget? Uh, how long are you going to use this cottage for? How often are you going to use it? You know, that, those kinds of questions. What works for you? What doesn't work for you as a, as a homeowner? And the interesting thing with cottages that's different than our usual work. Our typical work is year-round homes. And so mm -hmm. there's a kind of a baseline of energy efficiency goals that is automatically assumed like I assume with our homes that we're going to want a very high level of efficiency because that's why people hire us. But with a cottage, like for our family cottage, even though we're the the sort of top, one of the top sustainability firms um, out there, this is a four, it's not a four season space. It's a three season space because it's a water access cottage. We're not going there in the winter time. And so it's very minimally insulated. Um, mm. with mid mid performance windows uh, it does have a wood stove for cooler spring and and uh, fall evenings but it has a very different level of performance and I, I think it would be inappropriate to blanket every building with the same level of performance because then totally. you start then you start using materials and spending carbon and spending money when it's not necessary and you don't need it so for yeah. a renovation, the first question is like, is this a three or four season cottage? And even if it's a four season, how often are you using it in the winter time? Um, are we are we burning wood to keep it warm? That has a huge amount of power, so it's quite easy to heat even a not so efficient building with wood. Mm -hmm. um, it's not going to be your like. Again, in a permanent home, 
you should not be relying on a wood stove to stay comfortable. <laughs> leave, that, leave that to the cottagers and the pioneers. But not a, a very cottage, consistent, <laughs> consistent <no>. heat. <laughs> but in a cottage scenario, these we have, I think, more flexibility in how we resolve um, these bigger questions. And so I think the other thing too, is I was talking to someone over the last couple of weeks who's trying to decide if, if they want to renovate their water access cottage. And it's a huge logistical challenge. It's, it's easy to say on paper, tear the whole thing down and build new. Well, if you tear it down, you've got to take every single piece away on a boat. Yeah, It's hugely expensive very, very wasteful. So I think with cottages, we're also just under kind of really different criteria in that we've got to be a lot more mindful of working with what we've got. It's also a secondary home and you can easily overinvest. Um, and you've got to be, you know, we have to caution, you know, resp fiscal responsibility to people to make sure that we're not overspending on something that is not being used every day of the year. So yeah. there's there's very different criteria for a cottage. You need to be able to meet the basics without creating a project or a process that's too onerous without incurring a cost that doesn't fit the value of the property. I like what you said about um, being resourceful <laughs> because I find that is a very, very common theme in cottage country, especially, you know, back when they were first starting to build cottages in the early 1900s mm -hmm. is they kind of built with whatever they could get their hands on. Yeah. And um, I find that that's still true out on island properties is that people just built with whatever they repurposed so many things to work for a new space and I feel like people do tend to um try to make something work again and re mm -hmm. restore something and, and people are a bit more inclined to renovate instead of um building new because of the extra effort that it takes to haul out things to an island yeah. especially yeah. if you're really far out there I mean our family cottage is about I don't know how many kilometers it is but in our boat it's about 20 minutes wow yeah so and there's people that are much further out than that so um I just that's amazing just the sheer amount of energy that it takes yeah. to boat back and forth is crazy absolutely, so, absolutely. Yeah. but it, there's also a good story there too you know i mean working with what's there there's a history there's mm -hmm. a there's a shadow you know of the of the character of the place and i feel like a lot of our instincts as humans is to wipe clean and we're going to make it perfect no. this time <laughs> but no. you lose but again, we're trying to go to the cottage to live deliberately, to live differently. And so you've got to do sometimes these things that are sort of deliberately a little bit less than perfect because that's part of the charm. And yeah, that's part of the I think it shouldn't be perfect. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I agree. I think a lot of people say that about their cottages is that they're just, they're not perfect and they don't want them to be and they're quirky and they have charm and things aren't quite straight and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just the feeling, the feeling that you get. It's more of a natural environment. It's organic. And, and we just, yeah. nobody, people aren't perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think one of my favorite um, cottage memories, I didn't grow up with a cottage because I grew up in the country. So mm -hmm. my parents always said, we live in our cottage. Right. But I remember <laughs> visiting my uh, Uncle Mike and Auntie Jenny's cottage in Quebec. And they had this beautifully tumble down old cottage on Lake Memphis Magog, right on a sandy beach. And I remember beside the back door, there was always a bucket of water. And you would you would rinse your sandy feet off in the bucket of water. And then before you went inside. But of course, you step up onto the step and then you step in the bu a bucket of water and then you step back on the step and you would always end up with sand on your feet again 
And as a child, I just, this was driving me bonkers. I was like, but it's not perfect. And I remember my auntie Jenny saying to me, and she had this beautiful British accent. And she just said, oh, Christine, it's good enough. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's just, that's just great. That's the perfect, the perfect analogy of the cottage is just good enough for us. Yeah. Oh, that's so perfect. (laughs) Wow. It's just because that just encapsulates the whole feeling, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just good enough. It just doesn't have to be. It just doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to have all the bells and whistles. Yep. It doesn't have to have all the latest technology. Yeah. So. And we'll stop fussing and we'll just no get fussing. on with the reason we're here. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Lovely. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if I have any more direct questions. I think you've you've uh, answered almost everything and have given me and the listeners a lot of insight into your business and also into building sustainably in cottage country, which was the purpose of this uh, interview. So I'm, I'm so excited to, to share this with everybody Um, just for people to find you if they're looking Mm -hmm. for your website or. Yeah. So our website is solares.ca. So S O L A R E S ca um or you know if you just google sustainable architect we should probably be right there at the top um and we're based in toronto but we do work all over ontario and we would love to hear from all of your listeners so everybody yeah. is welcome to drop us a line look us up uh send us an email or or give well, us do a you call. have any questions for me not know. at all. No, this has just no. been <laughs> such a treat. This has been such a it's treat. It's so exciting for for me to connect with people who who are I guess working in a, in the field in a um, authentic and I don't know how to phrase this. Just a way that moving forward forward is just inspirational in in the architectural field because I feel like not everybody is on the same page with design and architecture obviously. So it's really nice for me as a also a designer to connect with with um, architects and firms like you that really share the same mentality and ideas. So I was just very excited um, that you wanted to speak with me. So well, thank just you very say much. Thank you so much again. Yeah, and thank you to you. It's it's um you know it's so easy to just get you know stuck into you know I don't want to say the grind because I love what I do but you you know Mm -hmm. you end up doing the same thing over again it's just nice to have a break and to kind of reinvigorate why we love doing this and why we're why we're invested in what we're doing so thank you and it's nice it's nice to talk to someone who who, um I guess like is also equally as passionate because well we're always just learning still and you've taught me already so many things in this one conversation so (laughs) that's great well I'd love to I'd love to be a guest again and we can talk about more technical things or or what yes I think that would actually be a great a great episode okay well we'll sign off for now and um that's great just say thank you so much thank you Katie really nice to chat Just a note to say thank you so much to the King Family Bursary and the Georgian Bay Land Trust who have funded season two of Rewind Design. Thank you so, so much for listening to this week's episode. I so appreciate every single listener that tunes in, every single reader that reads the blog, rewinddesign.ca. The best thing you can do for me to support me in this journey is to either follow along on Spotify, Apple Music, or whichever platform you listen to. Click that follow button. The second best thing you can do is share this podcast to your friends and family. If anyone you know might be interested, just forward this along to them and tell them to take a take a listen or take a peek at my website. And if you're interested in supporting me further, I also have a Patreon account where you can donate $5 a month to the podcast and a portion of that will also go to the Georgian Bay Land Trust and that is patreon.com slash rewind design. No pressure to do any of that. I'm just so happy if you're listening to this and if you love cottage country 
and Georgian Bay and Muskoka as much as I do. So thank you again so much and stay tuned for another episode in three weeks. Bye!